as we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word, may we meet with the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I, I know that for the last couple of years, life has felt quite chaotic for many of us, as for me. Um, things have been turned upside down, rearranged, got out of our control, and as we get into this year, there doesn't seem much sign of the chaos fading. Financial uncertainty, inflation, cost of living, industrial actions, difficulties in the NHS. I, I could go on, I won't, because it'll just depress us. So, it just feels a bit chaotic. And where is God in this chaos? How does our faith shape our reaction to the chaos? What might God be saying to us through the chaos? Those, those are some of the questions that we're going to be asking, we're going to be grappling with over the next month or so uh, as we explore stories of people in the Bible who found themselves in difficult, painful, chaotic situations. Um, and we're going to be seeing what we might be able to learn from those accounts about, about our own lives. Um, over the coming weeks, we're going to be hearing about people who got caught up in fire, who were under threat, who were out in the wilderness, who had someone unexpected come and rescue them. And today, we're going to start by meeting someone in prison. As he's writing his letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi, Paul is in prison. Um, more than that, he's writing to a city in which he was also imprisoned. Um, we heard that story a little bit earlier with the youngsters, the, Paul's imprisonment in Philippi. And, and that imprisonment's completely clear because it describes it. It said Paul was put in prison. Um, but how do we know that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, the, Philipp the letter of the Philippians to the church in Philippi? Well, if you look a little bit earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, you can read this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Well, when you're being guarded and you're in chains, that sounds pretty prisony to me. What do you think? Yeah. Now, we don't exactly know which of Paul's imprisonments this is written from. Um, as you read through Acts uh, and you read about Paul's journeys and his ministry, he does end up in prison quite a lot. There's two particular stretches um, towards the end of his ministry when he was in prison or under house arrest for significant periods of time. One in Caesarea in Acts 23 and 24, and then one in Rome in Acts 28. Balance of evidence, I would suggest, seems to um, be more on the, on the idea that he wrote this from Rome, but we, we can't be sure. And to be honest, I'm not, I don't think it matters particularly. In both places, in both Caesarea and Rome, we know that his freedom was restricted. He was awaiting for a court hearing that might have ended with his execution, and he couldn't go where he chose. So in many senses, Paul was, was captive, imprisoned, chained. 
So, how does Paul deal with this situation, with this captivity, with this imprisonment? Firstly, he worships. We heard this about the story of his reliefs from captivity in Philippi. He worshipped God. Uh, And this emphasis on worship continues in Paul's letter to Philippi. Earlier in chapter 4, he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. At the beginning of today's reading, he writes this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. All the way through you get this theme of rejoicing and Paul calling people to worship. It so happens that in the Bible reading plan I use that one of the readings this morning was from Psalm 42. Um, It begins with a very well-known line, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And later on the psalm, this this verse repeats. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And I, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And Paul puts this into practice. In circumstances that are hard and painful, he finds ways to rejoice, to praise God, to worship. That's the first thing, worship. Secondly, Paul writes that he has learnt to be content in any and every situation through him who gives him strength. And in this case, Paul seems to be talking about material things. He talks about being well-off or in want. He talks about being hungry or well-fed. But if you read through his wider writings, through the accounts of his journeys and his preaching, through his letters, it seems that this does apply to every aspect of Paul's life. We hear about all kinds of challenges he goes through, and in all of them, his reliance on God's strength doesn't waver. He believes that in the end, no matter what's going on, whatever he's going through, God will work all things for the good of those who love him. So it seems to me that what we have here is the practical application of what we heard Jesus teaching his friends and followers in Luke's historical account of Jesus' life. Jesus, again, talking here about material things, instructs his disciples not to worry, not to be anxious about food or drink or what they'll wear, but to do what? To seek God's kingdom and to lay up treasure in heaven where it cannot be destroyed. It seems to me that as you read about Paul's life, this is what Paul did. He sought God's kingdom. And things rarely went easily for him. He was often beaten, abused, hungry, thirsty, imprisoned. But he kept trusting. Kept trusting in God's strength. Laying up treasure in heaven. So, from these these Bible readings, it seems to me that worship and contentment founded in trust are some of the keys to freedom from the things that hold us captive. And in a minute, we're going to think about how how we might do that practically in our lives. But before we do that, I thought we might hear from someone who actually works with 
actual prisoners. Sarah, would you like to come up? Get a slightly different perspective on some of this stuff. You have that and talk into it. So I've got a few questions. So, Sarah, you, which prison is it that you work in? It's Brinsford Prison in Featherstone, Wolverhampton, which is a young offenders prison. Um, but they do have some slightly older ones in there. But it's, so it's lads from 18 to 21 predominantly. Just under 600 of them. 600? Yeah. Wow. And what drew you into volunteering there? And what kind of things do you do as a volunteer? Do you know what? I often think about why on earth did I... I, I don't know. It's just I feel, <laughs> this, I feel this sort of call on my heart. I suppose in, in work that I've done previously, I've worked with the criminal justice system. Um, I've had a lot of police influence in my life, not because I'm in trouble, um, <laughs> but because uh, the strong family trait uh, of being in the police. Um, but, yeah, the more time I've spent involved with the criminal justice system um, and then have spent time from a work perspective being inside of, of prisons, I just enjoy the interaction with the people that are in there. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's sort of why I do it. What do I do? Well, I started off by actually at another prison, which is Oakwood, which is sort of full HMP, so it's older people um, that have been in there for a long time, a lot of them. Um, the thing about Brinsford, by the way, is that it's predominantly resettlement. I should have said that. So what that means is you get a, the majority of the lads are there in the last six months of the sentence, although you do get some who are on um, uh, waiting to go off to... To, to be sentenced. Um, whereas, obviously, in HMP, there are a lot of people that go off there and they do their full sentences. And what I was doing now is part of something called the Sycamore Tree. So I started volunteering for Prison Fellowship, who are a Christian organisation. And um, so, yeah, that's basically looking at delivering a programme of, um, of working with the prisoners. It's not delivered as, as a Christian programme. But it's, it's all about restorative justice. So it's getting them to understand what they've done, um, the impact on the victim. And that's the sort of, it, it was then about an 11 or 12 week course. And it's just based on Zacchaeus, mm -hmm. um, hence Sycamore Tree. Um, and then at the end of it, a lot of the prisoners then decide to meet with their victim and then understand the impact of their crime and what that's had on the victim. But that works well not only for the person who's committed the crime, but also for the victim, because then often they will understand why the person committed that crime and, and realise that actually they weren't coming after me, particularly I wasn't targeted, it just happened to be me. So that's a really good, good thing. Um, then lockdown happened and, and all of those things stopped. And when we eventually started to open the prisons back up, I was contacted to see whether I'd actually like to go in to, to Brinsford to, um, to work with the prison chaplaincy there. And um, that's exactly what I do. So I go in there um, half a day a week. My work um, are very good. They let me sort of, as long as I make the hours up, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I go in um, one, one afternoon a week. I work with um, the prison chaplain. I go and see lads in the, in, the, in the cells or just meet with them in a room. And that can be talking to them about when are you due to come out? Have you got somewhere to go? Have you got... Um, somebody to meet you, all of that sort of very basic tick list stuff. Um, but then also dealing with the pastoral care element of that as well. Because obviously another thing that I'll do, if I'm not here on a Sunday, um, unless I'm speaking for compassion, 
Um, I will be uh, at the prison um, doing the helping out with the service there. And obviously, a lot of the work is then talking to them about the faith. Um, and they come from various, various aspects. Um, no faith originally at all, and still no faith, too. People have come in with a faith, and it develops, or actually they lose it, and the other way around. Okay. So I do all sorts of stuff, and it's awesome. Okay. Now, obviously, the, the lads you're working with, they're in prison. Yeah. So they're physically in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when we were thinking about, um, when we had Paul's story, there was the idea that the girl was imprisoned by her masters and other stuff that was going on in her life, the jailer was imprisoned by stuff. What other kind of captivity do you see working out in people's lives in the prison? Well, the thing is, a lot of the lads that come into prison, which is now their home, have actually come from a home that was their prison, if, if mm. you know what I mean. So um, the reason a lot of the lads are in there is because of the circumstances that they've come from. Um, and they bring in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff with them into that. Um, and there are terrible things for them to face in there. Um, and there's, there's a, lot of, um, a lot of isolation. There's a lot of sort of physical and emotional stuff that they have to put up with. Um, but predominantly a big thing, because especially being a, a prison that's about getting towards the end of a sentence some, with most of them and getting out, is there's, there's a lot of wrangling inside because they've then got to go back out to that same environment that's meant that they've come in. Um, but, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot for these lads to deal with, mm. a lot. So how can we be praying for you and for those you work with? How to pray for me is just pray that I will always find the right words. I pray that for myself. Um, because it's, I see this as just such a wonderful opportunity. Because pardon the pun, they are a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. It's a phrase for a reason. Um, but what a great opportunity when they haven't got the distractions of all the other things. And it's... The, the thing I don't want to do is waste the opportunity. So I want to find the right words. I want to say the right thing. I want to do the right thing. Um, so it's absolutely pray for me in that sense. But please pray for them. Please pray for them because they need everybody's prayers. They need it. And what they absolutely love, first of all, they love my slogan tops. <laughs> Which people here know that I love a bit of a... A God slogan. So, yeah, they, they do love. This is a particular favourite in the prison. Um, and, um, yeah, they love that. And they love the fact that people are engaging with them that aren't being paid to do so. That's mm. what they love. And, and for a lot, um, it can be the only sort of contact that they've, they've got. Not everybody gets people to come and see them. So, you felt your heart being stirred yep. to get involved. Absolutely. If there are folk here who are hearing this and feeling their hearts stirred, what do they need to do? Um, well, pray about it first. Make sure it's arriving, because it's not an easy environment to be in, I have to say. Um, and prison fellowship actually do... Um, you can be involved with prison fellowship purely to pray as part of a group. I have to say yeah. that. You don't have to physically go into a place, but you can be involved with prison fellowship um, and they will just guide you on, on prayer, and you can do that individually or as a group. 
One thing that we're desperate for, and you see I've got something in my hand here, I do have some leaflets. I did mention that not everybody has somebody to visit them. In fact, a lot of people don't have somebody to visit them. And they need to know about the outside world, not just by watching it on a TV that's in the pad. Because, yes, they do have tellies in the cells. Sorry, that's the way it is. The imprisonment is, is removing them from society. We don't have to torture okay. them. Like, sorry. Focus. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> um, so, uh, one thing we're desperate for, and we don't have at Brinsford at all at the moment, are prison visitors. And you can volunteer, literally, it doesn't have to be a weekly thing, but you can basically volunteer to just go and visit people that don't have somebody else to visit them. And the lads will flag up that I've got no one to see me, I'd like somebody to come mm. see me. So you can do that. Um, and I have some leaflets on how you do that. So predominantly just contact me and then you can, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. And then you do have the ability to then volunteer if you want to in the same way that I do. That's a little bit more of a process to go through. Obviously, anything you do in the prison, you have to go through a system of being checked and, and what have you. But just come and see me, and I can tell you about the, the prayer that you can do, or just being a visitor, or going a little bit deeper. Great. Don't run away. We're going to pray for you. All right, come here. Again, let's reach our hands out towards Sarah. Father God, thank you for Sarah and her heart for these lads. Thank you for her obedience to your prompting. I pray that as she is in there, as she's talking, your Holy Spirit will be creating opportunities for her and giving her the words and the things to do that will make the most of those opportunities. And we pray for every, every inmate at Rinsford that they would know a touch of your love and your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless you, Sarah. Thank you. So that's a real rooted example of imprisonment and captivity and how we might be able to minister into that. Um, but as I've touched on, as I've suggested, there are all kinds of different things that we might feel hold us captive, even if we're not physically in prison. Um, our housing, our job circumstances, addiction, illness, all kinds of circumstances which constrain our lives in ways that we don't want so what can we do? What, what can we take from those scriptures about how we address those? Well, the first one is worship. It's worship. And that can be difficult when we feel trapped or captive. Paul knew that. The psalmist knew it. But they encourage us to do it anyway. Um, I find this difficult. I'm talking as much to myself as to anyone else. But fundamentally, I do believe that it's as we lift our eyes in trust and worship to the one who is greater, who is worthy of our worship, so we do find release from the things that trap us. And that'll be different for each one of us. It'll be as individual as each of us is individual. For some, it'll be listening to worship music at home. It might be coming along to a rest service just to relax into God's presence. It might be coming along to Wellington worship night and having a knees up. Whatever it might be for us, I believe there is freedom in worship, even if it takes an act of will to engage with it. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about John the Baptist, uh, and Sue Poynton sent me a bit of an email, just of a little picture she had had of, of this highway of people going up and down it, worshipping, and every so often pausing to help somebody else up onto the road 
to sing with them and to worship. And I, I think for me, there were a couple of things that struck me about that. One is that um, worship is attractive. It does draw people into the kingdom. That it's a journey that as we worship, so we move on. Um, and also just a little note of caution that when we're caught up in worship, just to have our eyes open to perhaps step out of it sometimes and help other people join us in it rather than just getting completely caught up in our own little bubble. So that's worship. Just some thought starters for you. And the other one is contentment. Again, I am preaching to myself. I wish I could say with integrity and with Paul that I had learned the secret of contentment. The best I'm afraid I can do is share the direction in which I think it probably lies. <laughs> Learning to rely on God's strength rather than on our own. Seeking God's kingdom, God's way of doing things, and God's values and priorities rather than my own. Trusting that in the end God will work all things for good. Forgive me a little plug. But if you do want to explore that anymore, my wife has written a book, <laughs> Catching Contentment, and there is a small group Bible study that goes with it, available at all good bookshops. <laughs> so as we face the chaos of this year and of our lives, we might feel trapped or captive or imprisoned. So let's be gentle with each other. Let's love each other. Let's walk with each other. Let's help each other to worship God and to trust in God's strength. Amen.